and friends. Of course, I go by the name of the kid, famous. You and now tuned into the Tim and Friends show. Hello, education, entertainment, coast to coast. Ball it up, call it entertainment. Let's get this started. Uncle Tim, let's start this show with five, four, three, two, one. Let's go. I have never taken for granted that I have my dream job. This is what I always want to do. Ever since I realized I wasn't a good enough athlete, which was very early in life, probably around grade nine, grade 10, I knew I was done. But this is what I wanted to do. This is my dream job. So don't get this story twisted. Jesse and I always get a lot about, our questions are a lot about like, What's the job like? What do you guys do? How do you do it? Is it live? Things like, it's always live, by the way. This show is always live. And I thought yesterday was my first day back, was a great example of the answer to that question, what's the job like? So I'm going to tell a quick story here. Bear with me, Jesse. Bear with me, Canada, although I... Hope it's somewhat edutaining. So yesterday, we do the extra 45 minutes to an hour to get the Canucks news conferences to the masses because as sports fans, it was the right thing to do. Side note, thank you to all the Canucks fans who reached out just to say thank you. Did you see some of those? I saw a lot of them. That was very cool. Very like, nice. I don't see that a lot. No, never. Pretty I've, much. I've been in the business like 25 years yeah, now. And you can time. tell by my hairline. <laughs> And I, I don't see that very often, so thank you for saying that. Anywho, because of that extra hour, I missed most of my son's hockey game. As Jesse knows, flew out the studio, didn't wipe off, wipe off my makeup. That's right, we wear makeup. As I tried to gun down the Don Valley Parkway in Toronto to go to my son's game because my kid's sports has become my zen. So I get there for the third period. Okay. Okay? Mm -hmm. So it's a tie game, ends up a tie game. I don't see a heck of a lot. But because dad's there, you do the things that you do with your kid when you go and watch a game. And I don't know if you, like, part of the, dr the dream job is that I have the wherewithal that after the game we can go out and get some fries, maybe a burger, something like that. But we usually go get maybe a McFlurry. Mm. Sometimes we go get some Bieber balls. When the machine's not broken, the McFlurry. Yeah, yeah. when the machine's not yeah. broken, go get the broken. McFlurry. Yeah. Go to Timmy's, grab a you know, quick coffee, maybe some Timbits. Something like that, right? Mm -hmm. Like after the game, just to tell, you know, have a quick talk about the game, what happened. And so yesterday we drop off at John Anderson's, we get some fries, get some onion rings, and we talk about the game on the way home. So I get home and I sit down with my dinner, which is way more healthy than what I just <laughs> consumed with my son. We had the good talk about the game, what happened, what didn't happen. And uh, I turn on the PVR and I get to the Bills game. I got some salmon and rice. And mm, my nine-year-old daughter walks into the room and goes, Dad, how many big games are there tonight? And this is like tugging at the heartstrings because I know what she wants. It's bedtime. It's around 9.30 Eastern time. It's bedtime. And she wants me to come read a story. Mm. And so I say, well, there's... Canucks game's pretty big tonight, and this bill is Monday Night Football. AFC. I go, all right. Uh, so I set the PVR for the Canucks game. I, I put the pause button on the Bills game, and I walk upstairs, and she says, I, I don't want you to read the story. I want Sleep Story. You know what a Sleep Story is these days? The Calm app. Yeah. I'm familiar. You do know Matthew him? McConaughey. <laughs> <laughs> 
has got a great voice. It's not just the car, man, but there's, yeah. you don't even, like, so technology has advanced to the point where we don't even need to read our kids' stories. Right. Other people will read the story for you, and you just listen. Yeah, so, but you have a great voice, too. Like, that's that, that should be said. Like, so, but I don't have the I'm story. I'm not saying I would want you to read I mean, me God bless story. Robert Munch. Yeah. But, like, I don't have the stories. Yeah, okay, fair enough. So we put the sleep story on. The dog jumps on the bed in between us, sleeps like a human being in between us, and, like, I can't help but lie down, right? Like, oh, no. <laughs> so, so I lie down. The dog's in between me and my 9-year-old, sleeping like a human, head on the pillow. Everyone's cuddled, and, of course... Uncle Timmy falls asleep. Yeah, knew that was coming. <laughs> I wake up at 12.30 Eastern. I kid you not. Bill's lost to a Patriots <laughs> team that threw the ball three. I look down at my phone for the score, and I see the numbers, and I'm like, what the hell happened here? Like, I knew the weather was bad, but they threw the ball. I'm like, there's got to be some sort of mistake. <laughs> and then I, I literally turn on the Canucks game, and they're getting something close to a standing ovation as they leave the ice. Like, Life comes at you fast. Oh my God. <laughs> and I'm like, ah, oh, this sucks. Like, what? And I just, I'm like, I'm going to bed. And I went, I went straight to bed. And I woke up this morning, hit the old PVR for a little Tuesday morning football and some Canucks with my coffee. So my point is, every once in a while, if we miss something or there's a play that escapes our memory or we miss. Maybe it's because we fell asleep while listening to a sleep story with one of the little ones. Like, <laughs> so you want to be a sports sports broadcaster, right? <laughs> yeah, that's, and have kids, yes. and then try and watch sports, right? And read sleep stories most, or listen to sleep stories. Most yeah. sports broadcasters work at night, yeah. So they're watching the games while they're working. Like yes. that's their job. There is the rare few of us on radio or podcasters that will do it during yeah. the day. So our day is full of this. <laughs> And then after, the games are played. And last night was just one of those ones. So I, I'm, I'm in the spot. Listen. You PVR'd. PVR got the workout. Watched this morning. So one day after doing what felt like the Canucks show, a couple of days after Brian Dumoulin is lifting a jersey over the boards and the Nucks are booed off the ice, the team is serenaded with cheers as they leave that surface again last night. Amazing what sports can do to us, right? Like all of it. The Buffalo thing and what that meant to them, the Canucks thing and what that meant to like a couple of days. And it just almost feels like a 180. A random Monday. A random Monday in December. And look what we got. Bingo. So we'll examine the Nucks thing with the Tuesday roundtable, a little hockey centric with the Canucks, their GM search, the Habs GM search, the Pionk suspension, the Spezza suspension. Are we still waiting? Still waiting. On the Spezza suspension. Uh, Ovi's continued ridiculousness, by the way. Like, we got to stop and just put a little bit of a spotlight on what Ovi's doing. He's third in the league in scoring at 36. He's one point behind Dreisaitl or McDavid, one of the two. You know, it's getting kind of towards, like, Brady territory. Obviously, he's not... As old as Brady is, but, but in hockey years, but in hockey years, he's he, he could be approaching or non quarterback years, non quarterback <laughs> years, yeah, like uh, he's playing like everybody else's, same playing field, not a different position. He is what he is, and it's pretty amazing. To One behind McDavid, two behind Dry Saddle is what I got confirmed Crazy. in my ear. And of course, we'll get to why in the good name of Don Manhassenhoven, uh, Van Massenhoven, and his mustache. I shouldn't have tried that name, <laughs> Don Van Massenhoven and his mustache. 
NHL refereeing is not doing that thing called um, refereeing. Oh, got it. Uh, Ryan Leslie, Eric Engels, Randy Janda, all lined up, virtual roundtable. And as if Donovan Bennett hasn't done enough for this show over the last two weeks, uh, he gets booked on my second day back. We'll get his take on Canada's Athlete of the Year or the anti Lou Marsh Award. Have they renamed that thing yet, Jesse? Still waiting on that, too. Okay, that should change very quickly. Yeah. And Damian Warner's winning it, right? Yes, I believe so. Oh, look at that. Yeah. Quick, we'll see if Donovan agrees with us. We'll see if you agree with us. And there's some real nominees this year, right? Like Some real ones. But when Donovan, I have a feeling I know where he, he lines up on Damian this. Warner, Andre DeGrasse, Alfonso Davies. Vladdy. <laughs> add Vladdy to the mix. I didn't even think about Vladdy, but he got the Tip O'Neill Award. Yeah. So is he in the discussion for the anti-Lou Marsh? Yeah, I think it's closer to not, not necessarily a two-horse race, but there are favorites, and he's not one of them. Andre DeGrasse and Damian Warner, in my opinion. One-two? One-two, yeah. Other way? Damian Warner, two, one? Andre DeGrasse, yes. Got you. There you go. We're on the same page. Love it. I'm Rich Gannon on how the Pats took the Bills' hearts out of their chest and showed it to them last night. You won't be needing this. Yeah, kind of sort of like that. Although they had chances late, we'll discuss all of that. Our former NFL MVP final hour, Rich Gannon, joining us. But I'm pretty sure I get a shot at that right now. And first things first. All right, homie. What's in the cut, Ron Tugnut? <laughs> first things first. Love it. Okay. Sorry about the long story, by the way. No, that's okay. I was entertained by it. It was edutaining. Okay. The Canucks looked re-energized last night in their first game with Bruce Boudreaux behind the bench. Brock Besser scored his first goal in 14 games, and Thatcher Demko made 31 saves for his first shutout of the season, second of his career, as the Canucks beat the Kings 4-0. How much credit does Boudreaux deserve for last night's win, just rolling off of the press conference into a victory. I would love to say a ton. Like, I like Boudreaux. I think he's fun. I think he's good for the game. I think they need him in the game in whatever way, shape, or form that he can be in the game. As a coach in Canada, I'm taking it. But this is a marathon, not a sprint, right? Like, what can we make of one? We're talking about one game. It's the coaching boost. We're talking about one. coaching change boost. And you will get a coaching change boost a lot of the time, but... If the research that I've done in the past tells me anything, changing coaches in the middle of the year is very tough to do. Mm -hmm. But there are subtle changes early on that teams don't have tape on. So they don't know what, in this case, a very good thing, they don't know what the penalty kill of the Vancouver Canucks is going to do and how it will change under Bruce Boudreaux and his crew, right? Like there are subtle changes that no one has tape on and you can throw some curveballs early and get some wins. But the just the feeling in the building, just the feeling around Vancouver and the lower mainland is something to be noticed, no? It felt like the lid was taken off of the pressure cooker last night and the Canucks played like it. They played more free. They had 11 high danger chances. That's the third most the entire season. They just played a game that the Canucks haven't been playing all this season. More aggressive on the forecheck. A lot of things that Bruce Boudreaux talked Another about thing. in his press conference, yes. right? He said, be aggressive, be harder to play against. And that's exactly what we saw last night. And uh, you mentioned the penalty kill, like putting star players on the penalty kill. Just different looks that the Canucks haven't seen. A welcome change that it feels like they certainly needed. And what did we say with uh, Brock Besser yesterday? Pulled him aside, right. told him to shoot a little more. Only had one shot, but where does that shot go? 
back of the net. So yeah, well, it was a big part him. of what we were focusing on while watching the news conference yesterday was won the prolonged conversation at practice with Besser, and he kind of talked about how shooters got to shoot. Mm -hmm. And he did shoot, and he did score. But to me, this is like, okay, first things first here. You get the win on the ice, and obviously uh, the play of the players will determine what Bruce Boudreaux eventually is in Vancouver. But you have to add the caveat of, like, that was a dumpster fire in Vancouver, and the fans knew it. And instead of getting what you got on Saturday night, which was the jersey on the ice, the fire bending chance, that look from Travis Green that was just like, I have nothing left to give you anymore because I'm not sure what to do in this moment, to Bruce, there it is. <laughs> So the uh, whoop, there it is, for those who couldn't hear, uh, replaced by Bruce, there it is. Like, it's uh, like immediate. Like, genius. One game later. Genius. They're being serenaded by their fans, and Bruce, I saw a video from the concourse where they were walking out, chanting, Bruce, there it is. And earlier today, Boudreaux was on Sportsnet 650 in Vancouver, and he was asked about it. Bruce, in your entire coaching career, did you ever hear the chance, Bruce, there no. it is? No, believe me. I had people tweet that to me, and I just, like, I, it's pretty funny. I mean, uh, like, if you lose the next game, it could be Bruce, there he goes. Like, I mean, <laughs> so I pay as little attention to that as possible. <laughs> Sorry, it was obviously at the podium and not on Sportsnet 6. I That's just saw the so tweet good. from Sportsnet 6. So what do they do uh, next game that they win? Is, do they go back to Bruce, there he is? Do you spice it up? you go, like... Bruce, your daddy, instead of who's your daddy, or Bru the Brucey chant from Matilda. Like, wh where, where do you go? Do you just recycle this Sorry, one? Sorry, what was over the first one? Remember the, the Red Sox, Yankees, who's your daddy? Just change it to Bruce, Bruce your, your daddy. daddy? Yeah, why not? You don't like it? That was a deadpan. Shake of the head. Doesn't like it. Look, you, 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 I'm a volume shooter, okay? You can't hit them all. I love that. You I'm can't a hit volume shooter. I'm you like know. Steph Curry. Get have off night. Steph had like a no. one for 17 night the other. That's sometimes it happens, but it's just an idea I was throwing out there. Uh, Bruce Boudreaux told you, shooters got to shoot. Shooters got to shoot. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I, I, we will take it into consideration. Sure. Uh, if you have any at home, send them in at Tim yeah. and Friends. Maybe we'll go through what the evolution. I, I think it's a good start. Yeah. Bruce, there it, Bruce is, there it is, is a good start. But if you put any thought into those, I'm a little disappointed, <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you. And you could say, like, we're the tag team back again, back from vacation again. No, you don't like that one either? Yeah. Oh, I mean, you're getting goodness. there. Okay, you're halfway there. there, halfway there. Okay, Ram Table coming up to talk much more. Um, back again. <laughs> Check it to record. Let's begin. Yeah, we have a lot of hockey talk coming up. Uh, every Canadian team, except the Vancouver Canucks and Bruce, there it is, is in action tonight. Five of them at home. The Leafs host the Blue Jackets. It's a Stanley Cup final rematch in Montreal with Corey Perry and the Lightning in town to take on the Habs. The Sens are looking for their first four-game winning streak since 2017 as they host the Islanders. The Hurricanes visit the Jets. The Oilers look to snap their mini two-game slide against the red-hot Minnesota Wild. And the Flames wrap up their road trip in San Jose. Calgary has the best road record in the NHL this season. You mentioned Jason Spezza off the top. 
He had a hearing with the NHL Department of Player Safety earlier today for his hit on the Jets' Neil Pionk on Sunday. Spezza was retaliating for Pionk's knee-on-knee hit on Rasmus Sandin, for which Pionk was suspended two games. Do you think Spezza should get more than Pionk? He will get more than Pionk. I don't know if he should. I mean, this is on the refs. The, uh, the entire situation is on the ref. Pionk gets five in a game for the knee, and this never happens. Mm-hmm. Now, it did happen. I understand it happened. I still have no beeping clue. And we're going to talk about it with the roundtable, how that's not penalized. And because that's not penalized, Sheldon Keefe said after the game, the bench decided that needed a response. Yeah, he did say that. <laughs> he literally said, and that may play a factor, honestly. I'm surprised he didn't get fined for that. I'm surprised he didn't get fined for that, and that may play a factor in whatever suspension Jason Spezza is about to get. But look, like, the reaction from the Jets, given that's going to be a five-game suspension, some of it has to do with the respect for Jason Spezza. Mm-hmm and that he's not normally that guy, but the Jets knew it was coming, right? Like, and all this is on, if you just address it immediately, you don't have to deal with any of this. And you might have even been okay, like Connor McDavid not getting suspended for his hit on Adrian Kempe, with the five in a game. You might have been okay with Mm -hmm. it. I think, listen, neon knees can end guys' careers. The Leafs are lucky. Sandine's lucky. It's only three to four weeks or appears as though it's that. You got to be – I, I think that the Pionk deserve more. And I don't give me – if you're a Jets fan and you're watching this and you're just protecting your guy and saying he didn't mean to do it, doesn't matter. I can't believe how many times I saw, well, have you ever tried to lean into somebody and your leg just – mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. You need a guy. That's the whole point. It can happen. It's like a high stick. Remember when they instituted the, it doesn't matter if it's an accident, high stick? Mm-hmm. Everyone was like, wow, it could happen. doesn't matter. If you high stick a guy, you get penalized. You are in control of your stick, and nine times out of ten, you're in control of your body. And it's not like Pionk hasn't done this before. So I think there should have been more for Pionk and... Spets is going to get at least five, He's going right? to get five, yeah. I think he'll get five. Five or six. But, yeah, I mean, the fact of the matter is it's premeditated, retaliatory, and it's vigilante justice. You're, you are right. You are right. But that, that is everything okay, that the, the league is trying to get. No, but if right. the NHL is not going to do it, the players are going to do it. And that's my, been my point the entire totally time. Agree. If the NHL doesn't do it, the players are going to do it. Even the Jets knew that. And that's why they didn't jump Spezza when he did it. They knew. Um, okay. I uh, should say that uh, Mitch Marner out three to four weeks. Yeah, Rasmus Sandin two to three weeks. They've both been placed on injured reserve. Travis Dermott also out You got the jackets tonight? tonight? I don't nope. think so. <laughs> I don't <laughs> think so. Leafs at home still? No, I don't think so. Uh, okay. Here we go. We thought the weather would play a factor in the Monday nighter between the Pats and the Bills, and boy, did it ever with wind gusts over 40 miles per hour in Buffalo. That gave us some great footage during the show. Uh, New England relied heavily on the run, and Mac Jones attempted just three passes in a 14-10 win. You picked the Bills minus two and a half before you knew the forecast. Do they get a pass because of the weather? Hell no. <laughs> no. The, the New England Patriots went in there 
and took the Bills' lunch money. They did, listen, they won a game where only Bill Belichick could run the game plan that the New England Patriots ran and get away with it. Like, they ran the ball all but three times. Ponder that for a moment. They lined up, and, and maybe some of it was disbelief from the Bills. Leslie Flavier, Sean McDermott. Maybe some of it was, we don't believe they're only going to throw it one time every 16 runs. Mm -hmm. But Bill Belichick ran a game plan that if they had have lost, think of it this way. If the, the Bills had chances to win that game. Yes. If the Patriots had a lost and passed the ball just three times to the Bills' 30, Bill Belichick would have been roundly criticized up and down. And you know how much Bill give Bill. I was going to swear that. <laughs> I, I caught myself. Do you know how much Belichick cares? Zero. Zero. Yeah. None. None. And there's like three guys in the history of football that will coach that way. And Bill Belichick's one of them. I think that we're to the point right now, they get that win in Buffalo where we need to relitigate the case that was given to Tom Brady immediately as if he had won the divorce by winning the Super Bowl last year. You know who the third favorite to win the Super Bowl is right now? The New England Patriots and Bill Belichick. Uh, the Bucks and Patriots are actually the most likely Super Bowl matchup, which is another intriguing storyline. But where, where is your beef with the Bills? Is it offensively or defensively? No, I got no beef with the Bills. They got beat by a better team. And they got to, I mean, I think that in that weather, listen, that game set up perfectly for this dude. Yeah. You know what they've done the best in the National Football League over the last six weeks? Stop everybody. Mm -hmm. Their defense has been unbelievable. And they're third in the league in, in rushing. That's what they do well. That's set up perfectly for them. If they get a different condition game, the Buffalo Bills could beat them and probably should beat them. But last night, that was the Patriots. That's what they do, and that's what they did. We've seen people just eviscerating the Bills' defense, which I don't really understand because you take away that big run by Damian Harris. like the, Who's the, eviscerating the Bills' A defense? lot of people are eviscerating the Bills, specifically Sean McDermott, but also the Bills' defense because you knew – that they were running and you still couldn't stop it. To which I would say that's not really true. No, they scored Damian, 14 points. They scored 14 points. It was one and touchdown. one of them was a huge run. Yes. So, I mean, I, I don't understand that criticism. If I'm looking to criticize the Bills here, it's, it's on the offensive side of the ball. You had the chances. Matt Breida, fumble on the exchange. I'm with you. Like, they only scored one touchdown too. Uh, they told me to hurry up. Oh, my bad. <laughs> <laughs> I, thought, I thought you were part of this. No, that's it. I'm done. <laughs> Ryan Leslie standing in the corner of the <laughs> patiently, studio, patiently <laughs> on his phone, waiting for this roundtable. I, I love football, man. I just I love football. I just want and, to talk and football. you're going offense of the Bills. I know. I just dig deep. Into I'm the with leads. you. They've they've needed a running game. They've they have needed, no running game. They've That's needed the more of a running game to be more well-rounded. I, I, they're telling me to be quiet. <laughs> Still to come, Rich Gannon gives his thoughts. We'll get less of Jesse's thoughts, less of my thoughts, and more of a former NFL MVP on that Bills-Patriots game and all of week number 13. Plus, Donovan Bennett pops by as we discuss the Canadian Athlete of the Year debate. But up next, Hockey Heavy Roundtable. Randy Janov in Vancouver. Eric Engels in Montreal. Told you. Ryan Leslie, fine-looking gentleman. He's in studio. Tim and friends, Tuesday, let's go.
steal. Lamico shoots and scores. Yuho Lamico with his first as a Canuck. I mean, for Connor's goal and and um, for the other goal, what's his name? I'll get it. Uh, his first goal of the year. What's his name? Yeah, Lammy. Lammy. That's it. Yeah, yeah. Like I mean, it all started from a, a forecheck, so it was all good. The game hinges on one play. Jackson flings it. Andrews can't get to it. The Steelers are alive. Two of three passing from Mac Jones, and the Patriots come here and win the game. To uh, Tim and friends, yeah, I talking about them. my table. And Jesse, your desk isn't small; it's average. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> average. Still to come on this edition of Tim and Friends, more on whether or not we relitigate the case of Brady winning the divorce proceedings with Bill Belichick. Rich Gannon will join the fray, but it is the second segment on a Tuesday, and that can only mean one of two things: either one. I repeatedly sing the chorus of size classic Gangnam Style. Or two, the virtual t round table has been assembled. Thank goodness for all involved, it is the latter. And with all the hockey news that has been percolating, we go nearly coast to coast in an attempt to edutain the masses with some local and some national knowledge. We start in studio and normally you see this young man at the Saddle Dome or in arenas across North America with the NHL's best road team, the owner of a pretty damn good Ron McLean impersonation, and with glasses on, the Tweedledee to my Tweedle, never mind. It's Ryan Leslie. What's up, my friend? It is good to be with you. Thank you. Yes, I left the, glo the goggles elsewhere, but uh, <laughs> it's, it's probably it's pro good. Probably a good thing. Yeah, I would have made people see double here in studio. Uh, it's not a good my, look. <laughs> one of my absolute favorite in-arena interviews because of the acute information always provided, but also because it's also accompanied by the great Deanne Bebo on the organ. Ladies and gentlemen from Montreal, Eric Engel is joining us. What's going on, Engel? I kept it at home because in case you wanted to do Gangnam Style, I wanted to make sure you weren't overshadowed. Yes. I could, way, we could have got Deanne to play backup. <laughs> yeah. By the way, I, I'm an identical twin, but you guys are really... Ryan, you, got, you should have worn the glasses. <laughs> it's something. There's a Spider-Man meme that we've sent out a couple of times. We might have to do it again. Uh, and finally joining us, literally minutes before he goes on the air, in Vancouver with the People Show, where I'm sure he's praying to God or the God known as Dave Babbage's mustache that he no longer has to speculate on the future of Jim Benning. It's our friend, Randeep Chanda. Thanks for doing this, Randeep. Thanks for having me, and we're uh, we're positive vibes only in Vancouver today. <laughs> yes, yeah. Right, let's start there, Randy. Like, what a difference a game can make with the fans in Vancouver, eh? It, it is wild. You know, a couple of days ago, over the weekend of Hockey Night in Canada, it was booze, fire, Benning. There was a jersey thrown on the ice. There was, was the center of negativity in Canada in the hockey world. And fast forward a couple of days later, changes made on Sunday, and last night. Bruce, there it is, was the chant in Vancouver. <laughs> People were going nuts in the crowd. There was just a positive vibe, and of course they win as well. Some of the stars wake up. It's uh, It's been a roller coaster of a ride in Vancouver in the last 72 hours. And uh, as I said, just positive vibes right now in this city. All right, let me stay with you for a second, Randy. And just like we played yesterday's news conferences, both of them, Bruce Boudreaux, Steamer, Stan Smeal, and Frankie Aquilini. Uh, and it seems like, you know, the Bruce, there it is, all that stuff. Like, uh, it also feels like there's an open book on GM, 
president, president, GM. Are Canucks fans satisfied with what they've seen and heard over the last 24 to 48 hours? I think they're satisfied with what they've seen on the ice. There's a big difference in terms of the long-term versus the short-term. The short-term, Bruce Boudreaux has brought something that this team needed. That was a you know, re-energization, a, a breath of fresh air in the short-term. But long-term, the president-GM question is a huge question that still needs to be answered in this market. And the press conference and having availability with the owner is a big deal. It's an important deal. The last time Francesco Aquilini actually spoke to the media in a media conference like this was, you know, when Trevor Linden was hired back in 2014, essentially that era. And it's been a long time. So it was nice to have that availability. But how many of those questions were actually answered? Not many long-term. So I think, you know, in the short-term, there is a positive vibe there is some clarity on you know what Brudro can maybe do with Elias Pettersson and Brock Besser and and really try to salvage this year but in terms of long-term answers this is an organization still with some huge questions on where this is heading not this year but the year after potentially and maybe the next five years hey Angles Mark Bergevin's name has come up in Vancouver <laughs> you, you know him pretty well what are the odds of that well, first of all, I thought that was the one question that Francesco Aquilini uh, handled pretty well. And I have to say, I empathize with people in that situation, people that are not used to facing the questions and the reporters, and I know it's part of the job. But, you know, I, I think uh, Aquilini handled it pretty well, saying, you know, I think Mark is uh, ready for a rest. And, and uh, obviously, it, that would indicate to me, even though he said he didn't speak to him, but he has an inclination in terms of Mark Berger wanting to sit back, continue to collect his paycheck with the Montreal Canadiens, and uh, evaluate his options potentially at the end of the season, which I think there will be many. You know, getting back to the pressers yesterday, for all the cringe kind of moments that I felt watching Aquilini and Smeal, and I thought Smeal did really well, you know, to try and save that press conference. Man, does, you know, Bruce Boudreaux knows how to win a hockey game, but he definitely knows how to win a press conference. I mean, he was just dynamic and awesome, and uh, the energy that Randy was talking about so desperately needed around that team, it's not going to solve you know, the fact that their defense is porous and they give up things through the slot like it's uh, like they're handing out candy. But, you know, they 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 need that type of positive energy. And the fact that he pulled Besser aside and said, hey, start shooting the puck. Uh, I assume that Elias Pettersson's minutes are going to go up dramatically here. And if they can find some goodwill there, they might be able to solve some of the issues that we know are going to take a lot longer to solve long term. But at least in the interim, they can kind of have a positive vibe as they continue to search to fill their front office. All right, so let's talk about that front office a little bit, Leslie. In Calgary, you've seen a couple of different yeah. variations. You've seen the president of hockey operations, guy we know pretty well. Uh, you've seen the GM. You've seen different variations. Yeah. What do you think Vancouver needs? Do they, do they need well, that president? Well, I think they do, and I think this is a, an organization and a fan base that has been you know, starving for this for some time. And you can look at the history and, and certainly some key players who've come and gone through there, and that stability is just so important. But I kind of applaud them for kind of doing their due diligence. A little bit surprised, I guess, that they didn't have somebody in mind, although I can appreciate that this thing seemed to snowball and we had to do something. I'm a little bit curious what it all might mean for Bruce Boudreaux when a new GM comes right. in. I think that's something worth uh, keeping an eye on, and maybe the answers are already out there in Vancouver as far as that's concerned. But I, just to kind of get it right this time is what I think a lot, of, a lot of organizations are trying to do. And, you know, in Calgary, as you mentioned, they had to go back to Daryl Sutter because they had every other type of coach in Calgary. It wasn't working. And so they brought in a coach where, all right, you've had the players coach, you've had the good guy, you've had Bob Hartley, who was the coach of the year, you've had a couple of assistants promoted. 
They had to go to what they knew could clean this thing up. And those were Daryl's words, and it worked. And it is working, I should say. Um, Bradshaw Living's been there for some time. So from a Calgary perspective, I think they've tried to add that stability, and I would imagine Vancouver is looking to do that as well. Listen, Vancouver, Randeep, is obviously like a, a, a unique market, to say the least. And when your owner or your chairman or whatever you want to call Francesco Wacolini doesn't speak uh, for kind of six, seven years, um, do you need a president? Do you think that that market needs a president and a GM? I've been calling for this market to have a, a president for the last two years. I think based on the responsibilities in Vancouver, much like Montreal, it seems like there's a lot of noise. And, you know, working here for the last number of years, you can tell that there's responsibilities from a hockey ops uh, perspective, but there's also responsibilities to talk every single day to make sure that you're a voice for the organization. And that's something that, you know, Francesco Acolini admitted yesterday that they didn't maybe communicate with the fans. They didn't really talk about the vision too much. And that's, an issue that this organization had going back about five or six years ago. If you look at the fans and the frustration and the reason that it boiled over on Saturday night was long term, fans didn't know where this team was going. And that goes back to the beginning of Jim Benning's tenure. So I think communication in this market is extremely important, like many other Canadian markets. But I think a president is going to be something that they should be looking at. Uh, there should be a bit of a buffer between ownership and you know hockey ops. But on Top of all of that, you know, communicating to the fans, getting it right, and providing a little bit of insulation is really important. And messaging in Vancouver has been an issue, especially for the last three or four years. And that's kind of... I, I, think, I think they need it for all the reasons that Ryan and Randy just laid out. But one of the main things and the main reasons they need it is because of what Aquilini said yesterday, which is that at times he felt maybe he was too optimistic about the product. And that tells me that for however Vancouver fans feel about Jim Benning, he was pretty good on selling his owner on one concept, which is that they were going to turn it around and find a way. Uh, I don't think it's necessarily that he was, you know, the owner himself was meddling too much in the hockey operations, but more so he didn't have a realistic view of what was going on. And perhaps if there was a buffer between him and Benning, this decision would have come down a while ago. And I think the one unfortunate thing is here. And what would have made that press conference a lot better is if they had a very clear direction they were going in and had already chosen the people by which they're going to you know, command the ship and go forward with. Um, I know it's kind of hypocritical saying it coming out of Montreal with what's going on here, but <laughs> I think it's a different situation there in Vancouver where there's not as many limitations on the search. And it was very clear uh, going back a year ago through this one that a major change needed to happen and happened a lot sooner than it did. So president, DM, that structure, I think, is uh, a healthy one in any market, but particularly it's been shown now when the owner says, uh, maybe I was too optimistic about things and that's why I was waiting so long. You know, you need a buffer. Uh, and you touched on it uh, just as well as the gentleman. That buffer in Calgary worked. You know, you had Brian Burke there who we had a chance to work with as well. But this was uh, somebody who could kind of take some of the heat off, let Brad True Living or the GM right. work on what he needed to do. And that buffer just seemed to work. And, and certainly a guy with experience in a case like Brian Burke was able to handle those balls. Right. So you can play conciliary. Yeah. You can also set, play PR. Yeah. Right. And I think that's exactly what maybe they need in, uh, in Vancouver. All right. You brought up Montreal, Angles. Uh, let's follow up there. What does it look like? Who are the favorites? Well, I think, you know, as you know, Elliot Friedman reported that Kent Hughes is a name that's going to garner a lot of attention, especially since Jeff Gordon, when he was talking about what he's looking for in a GM candidate and the complimentary aspects that person would bring, he mentioned that it could be a former player and it could be an agent. You know, I think a lot of people immediately turned to Pat Brisson, but I don't see him giving up 
a client list that includes, you know, among others, yeah. Nathan McKinnon and Sidney Crosby, uh, to do that job for what I think will be not a very high salary in terms of the GM structure around the league. I think Jeff Gordon got a five-year deal here because he's the, the high-powered executive coming in. I think Mark Bergevin ended up out of Montreal in large part because Jeff Molson wasn't willing to meet his price as GM, and then he later explained that he wasn't sure whether or not he wanted to be there. I've mentioned Daniel Briere, who you see at the top of this list coming out, and I see he's got even odds with a couple of other names. Um, you know, I think what it's really going to come down to is once Jeff Gordon, uh, Bob Ganey, who's going to be consulted on this, and Jeff Molson get together and interview these candidates, it's really going to be about who fits best with Gordon's managerial style and the assets that he's bringing and whatever he feels about it. Uh, I'd love to see if there's some other names that enter into this that are totally off the board. I think Emily Castonguay is one that has come up, you know, with them saying they want to diversify hockey operations. Maybe she wouldn't come in as GM, maybe as an assistant GM. I just wonder, you know, there's a lot of possibilities here. Despite the limitation of this person needing to speak French, there are a lot of quality candidates, and as you saw on that list there. You know, another name that uh, might and could start to surface out there, either Vancouver or Montreal, he's not francophone, but Craig Conroy, a former Montreal Canadian. Mm -hmm. Of course, he's an assistant general manager with the Calgary Flames. I just wonder if his name starts to surface out there. It's a qualified guy who's done his time, a lot of scouting, and a, and a guy that has a lot of respect around the NHL. Angles, is there, like, I know everyone, like, just for the, what it would be, is Patrick Waugh got a real shot here? I think... Right now, the Canadians have no choice but to interview him. He's put right. himself on a slab out there. He's put, made the public cry, why not give me a try? What do you have to lose? Right. Uh, I don't know if that was necessarily the best venue to, to the job or the best road to take. But I do know that I think the, the Canadians will have to pick up the phone and speak to him. And Bob Ganey being a part of the process might help his case. What Patrick is going to have to do is convince these guys that he's going to be a team player and that he's not going to inevitably overshadow Gordon or come to uh, you know an emotional kind of volatile place in terms of the decision-making <laughs> process where you know it's good to butt heads it's good to have somebody in the room that says I don't agree or whatever it is but what you don't want is conflict getting in the way of resolution right. and that's what you need when you're going to be working in tandem as an executive VP of hockey ops and a GM I wouldn't put Patrick as a favorite to land this job but I will say that if he does land it he's going to do a great job selling the men that are hiring for the position. All right, uh, we're still waiting on the Jason Spezza suspension after that uh, little bit of a Donnybrook, shall we say, between the Jets and the Leafs. We'll talk about the officiating in that game, whether or not you're buying the Leafs pushback, and how the hell is Alexander Ovechkin doing what he's doing at the age of 36. We return with a roundtable next on Tim and Friends. Virtual roundtable has been assembled. Janda in Vancouver, Angles in Montreal, normally in Calgary, Ryan Leslie, but he is in studio. Looking damn good. Make the call. <laughs> Looking damn good. <laughs> yes. uh, all right, so let's start with, I, I was hoping that we were going to have the Jason Spezza suspension down at this time, but I want to start around the Leafs because none of you are Toronto reporters. None of you will get labeled with that, hey, they're the Toronto bias guys. So I'll ask you, the Leafs and a lot of the talk in the city after that Winnipeg game was, hey, 
good pushback from the Toronto Maple Leafs. They're showing the world, and to be fair, coming back against a pretty good Minnesota team to at least get a point in that game. They're showing the pushback that you haven't seen from them over the last little while. I'll start with you, Leslie, in studio. Are you buying that you saw enough of a Leafs pushback? Hey, I'll take it where I can get it from that team because you know this media market has been all over Matthews for not pushing back a little bit and kind of getting, you know, Dubois had his way with him. So I'll take it where I can get it if I'm Leaf Nation or if I'm in that Leaf locker room. You know, they didn't like what happened in that Winnipeg. And you heard the comments after about uh, how there's nothing better than beating the Leafs. Anything you can do. They've been playing well. And when some bumps in the road come along, I have no problem with this. I didn't have a problem. They, they, hey, we can talk about suspensions. Or we can talk about penalties that were or should have been called. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, you see Simmons run around. You see Clifford. I have no problem. Because inside that room is what matters. Right. The noise outside doesn't. And this is a team that has had all kinds of criticism from everybody and their brother. And if they're going to stick up for one another in any fashion, I'm good. Angles? Well, you can't win without it. So it's good to know that they're united as a team doing it. But I would suggest that we're about to see the real test for Leafs. You know, no Marner for a few weeks. Spezza is going to be gone, likely for at least five games here, given what he did. And uh, is this team going to show the versatility to commit to the defensive game and protect a guy like Jack Campbell? You know, that is going to be the rallying point for them. And I, I like the way they have approached their season so far. They've gotten tremendous goaltending. That solves one of the issues that happened to them in the playoffs, as we all know. And, you know, if they can commit to that defensive style of hockey, you know, on top of having that that pushback, I know it's relevant and I know it's important, but this is going to be that much more important for them to show a certain versatility because we know they're a good regular season team. That's not even up for debate. It's not even in question. Are they going to become a better playoff team by proving they need to play the way that they need to play to win in the playoffs? And there's a great opportunity for them to start doing that now with some offensive firepower taken out of the lineup. I think there's, there's more to this in the responding to adversity and what happens when you taste your own blood. And I think that's what Leafs Nation wants to see. The other thing that Leafs Nation wants to see, and I want to take it out of the Leafs perspective here, but when Felino hits Jack Campbell in the head with his knee, no penalty called. When Pionk goes knee on knee with uh, Rasmus Sandin, no penalty called. And the Leafs have to respond themselves. There's a lot of people wondering, what the bleep? I say the same thing about Pionk getting hit by Spezza. No penalty called on the play. Randeep, uh, do we have a problem with NHL officiating right now? Or can we accept the game's fast and sometimes you miss things? I think we can accept both because the game is fast and there's going to be a you know an error in, in the moment because it t- does take a second. It does t- take two seconds to react. But they are missed calls. And, you know, the way that players look at it is if it's not taken care of, if the, player, uh, the refs don't make that call, well, somebody's got to respond. And in that Minnesota game, we did that game on Hockey Night in Canada up in Jubby as well. And that was a moment where you're saying, okay, is something going to ha- happen here? It didn't happen. And there was, you know, some feistiness that came after. The Leafs come back in that game and they put up a fight. So the players do feel that onus themselves. But to me, I think it is, yes, you can, you know, say the refs are in a position, a very difficult position, but a missed call is a missed call. And the player in that second, in those five-minute spans, are going to be looking at and saying, hey, our guy, you know, there was a run taken at him, nothing happened, it's on my shoulders now. And that that knee by Jason Spezza was brutal, man. Rampage Jackson would be proud of that knee. That's how bad it was. <laughs> but it is something, unfortunately, that you put yourself in a position where the call isn't made, players are going to think that way. All right, we only got about two minutes left here, and I just I have to get to Ovechkin. Leslie, 
How is he doing this at 36? And are we about to watch Wayne Gretzky's record fall? For the longest time, I never thought so. I never thought so. And I think we might be actually, I'm probably way too late to the party on this one, but I think it's going to happen. I mean, he is on some kind of pace. As you mentioned, his age, everybody watches him in wonderment. He's just a bull. And he's, I talked to a couple of guys on that roster who say he is focused on two things, winning games and scoring goals. And that is it. I mean, we can talk about you know playing in the fountain after the Stanley Cup championship yep. uh, years ago uh, another time, but this guy is focused on those two things, and it looks as though he's getting both done. Angles? Well, he says he's early, but I think uh, – he says he's late, but I think he's a bit early. We're, we've got a few seasons before he breaks Gretzky's record, but no question he's going to get there. And, you know, one of the things that he can accomplish this year, winning the Hart Trophy, and he's making a damn good case to be the front runner for that one. He's just been incredible. He had a three-assist night against Montreal. I mean, everybody's doing well against them this year, but man, you know, just watching him distribute the, the puck and, and play with those guys, it helps to be surrounded by the talent that he has. That's one of the reasons why you should accomplish this goal. He is the most, one of the most dynamic electric players and has been ever since he stepped into the game. The fact that none of that has changed and that every time you step into a rink and Alex Ovechkin is there, he can bring you out of your seat is enough reason to buy a ticket. And, uh, I don't think that's going to change over the next couple of years. So yeah, he's going to he's going to nail down that record, uh, and whenever he gets to it, because he's going to play a long time. He's a big Russian machine, as he likes to say. Uh, you know, I'll be there with everybody else, giving him a standing ovation. Yeah, it's unbelievable. And, and the, I'm glad you brought up the assists. He had two more assists last night. He's got 20, like 20 goals, 21 assists this year. Like that, he's third in the league in scoring. Some good players at, there. At 30, some yeah, there. so, there's some pretty decent players there. Some pretty decent players here. Janda, I know you got to go host a show in about like five minutes' time. So we appreciate <laughs> we appreciate you doing this. Uh, Angles, as always, and Leslie in studio. Thanks, yeah, guys. I want Gangnam Style. Tim, you promised Gangnam Style. <laughs> yeah, come on. Go. Come on, Tim. Here. And sick. No, I can't do it. Maybe later. All right, after the break, we somehow convinced Donovan Bennett to come back after he guest hosted basically most of the last two weeks. We'll do that next, right here on Tim and Friends as the round table disassembles. Sports Talk with Jim McAuliffe and friends of the show. Thank you very much. Sheepdog's back here. Hour number two on Tim and Friends Full Hour Sportsnet 360, which includes Rich Gannon to discuss the week that was in the National Football League. Just another half an hour on Sportsnet ahead of Hockey Central, which includes Donovan Bennett. But first, let's get you what you need to know at this hour. We're still awaiting the news, so I guess you won't get well, you need to know because we haven't heard it on Jason Spezza. He had an in-person hearing with the Department of Player Safety today for his hit on Neil Pionk. We'll bring you the expected suspension news as soon as we hear it. Meanwhile, his Toronto Maple Leafs getting some more bad news on the injury front. Mitch Marner, shoulder injury, suffered in a practice collision with Jake Muzzin. will keep him out three to four weeks. He's been put on the IR, as has Rasmus Sandin who's expected to be out for two to three weeks after the knee injury suffered on a dangerous hit by Peon. Travis Derman also has a shoulder injury, will not play tonight. Both forward Alex Steves and 
Defenseman Christian Rubens are expected to make their NHL debuts for the Leafs against the Jackets tonight. Every Canadian team except the Canucks in action tonight. Five of them at home. It's a Stanley Cup final rematch in Montreal with Corey Perry and the Lightning in town to take on the Habs. The Sens are looking for their first four-game winning streak since 2017 as they host the Islanders, the Hurricanes visit the Jets, the Oilers look to snap a mini two-game slide against the uh, very good game there, Wild and Oilers, and the Flames wrap up their road trip in San Jose. Despite a loss last time out, Calgary still has the best road record in the NHL this season. Great Cup week underway in Hamilton, and the trophy arrived in Hamilton earlier today as the festivities ramp up. We will have coverage from the hammer as the week continues leading up to Sunday's game. Bombers currently two and a half point favorites over the host Hamilton Tiger Cats. The Raptors continue a seven game homestand tomorrow on Sportsnet as they welcome Shy Gilgis, Alexander, Lou Dort, and the Oklahoma City Thunder. The Scotiabank Arena coverage starts with the pregame. Sportsnet 1, 7 Eastern, 4 Pacific. OG Ananobi still out with the hip injury. Cam Birch dealing with a knee injury. Here's Nick Nurse for the latest on both. No updates. They're out, and they're out for foreseeable future. Is there a diagnosis on him? Like, why... Yeah, they did an MRI and there's nothing serious wrong with it. There's just some, it's just something that's causing it to swell, right? There's no, there's no damage or whatever. And um, being able to get that under control and keep it under control over an extended time here. So it just doesn't kind of keep going back and forth as, is the issue. Sounds like grade seven for me. <laughs> Vladimir Guerrero Jr. has won the 2021 Tip O'Neill Award, which is awarded to the year's top Canadian baseball player. Guerrero finished runner-up of the AL MVP after he had a monster season, 48. You know it. Vlad, who was born in Montreal, if you don't remember, beats out Tyler O'Neill, Joey Votto, Cal Contro, and his Blue Jays teammate Jordan Romano for the award. Uh, the creator of Cut or Uncut for this show, Donovan Bennett, rejoins us because, frankly, you got like you have a hundred other things that you could be doing at this juncture in time. You hosted the show. Like, how did you get roped back into coming back? What's that? Sorry. <laughs> so making, just making love to you're, the camera. We're making love to the camera. Um, I don't know. I, you, it like, feels weird being over here and not being over there. Do you want to switch? No, not really. You sure? You know, we got protocol and I, stuff I, like hey, that. We can bring Jesse over. No, no, no. I can slide that way, no. and then Jesse can no. go there. You're lucky. I, you're I lucky. can go to mini desk. You're not in my bubble, so you're lucky I'm even being here. <laughs> so, <laughs> you're not in my bubble. With contact tracing as it is. <laughs> with contact. Um, uh, nice, nice threads. You, you are so suit nouveau. I knew that was With coming. the double breasted, but it's open because we're doing that now. Yeah. I love it. Right. Is Suit Nouveau a thing? Like, it is now. Oh, yeah? You're welcome, Canada. <laughs> Seb really Hashtag likes it. Suit Nouveau. Yeah. All right. I, I was actually, I know that we're doing that, but I feel uncomfortable, to be honest with you. Like, it's a good you look. do it up, but you're no, sitting you're down, just... you got to let it go. If I stand up, I look a, bit, a little bit like a bell. I'm going to be honest with you. Right a, now. Like a bell? Yeah, it kind of just goes out, which is unflattering in the midsection, you no, know what I'm saying? So I, I'm going There's to, no uh, V. I'm going to pass on uh, some advice to you, which is the first time 
that that's happened. Normally the vice goes the other way. Uh, but uh, Natalia Chanwa, who we're going to steal when her career is over oh and make her Already an analyst. Good, yeah. um, you know, I was covering the, the Canada women's national team senior camp, but they had a lot of junior players with yeah. them, getting them ingratiated in the camp. And one of the things she told some of the young players is when you walk in a room, act like you belong. Mm -hmm. So I, what I say to you is fashion-wise, you may feel like a bell, you're not sure if you're all the way suit nouveau, but when you walk in a room with a suit, act like you belong. Act like that's the way it's supposed to be. Mm -hmm. And people are like, damn, okay, right. okay, this, Tim. This is what it is. Correct, yeah. It's got wide peak lapels and everything. Um, you're, you're talking a lot about Canada here. We were talking about Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Yeah. We're talking about Tip O'Neill Award, talking about Natalie Ochanwan, mm -hmm. the next generation of women's basketball. We were talking about the Anti-Lou Marsh Award, which is what I'm calling it until they <laughs> change the name. Which why why, why, we just name, so why don't we just name it? The, the Terry Fox Award. The Terry Fox Award. It is the Terry, Terry Fox, Fox Award. Award. Yeah. That's what it should be. That's what it will be. I don't know if it was Morgan Campbell who came up. That's where I read Terry Fox Award. Okay. And it's, I'm good with it. Sure. Call it the Terry Fox Award. Done. The athlete of the year. Who wins it? The, the, the TFA. Yes. Um, so I hate ties, right? Like, ties suck. Why did I put all this time and investment into tie? You're going to give me a tie? Well, we had a tie last year. Nobody seemed to have a problem with it. So I, I proposed a tie. They were for two different reasons. What were the, what were the different reasons? There's, there's one award. Who, sh who should win it? Who would well, you but I think Laurent Duvernay-Tarif won in part because he was a doctor in a global pandemic. So give him the award then. Why, why did he have to split it? Anyways. Because Alfonso Davies is one of the best players on planet Earth. Still is. Yes. Still is. And had a very... I, did, I, did, I said my phrasing, just to be specific, is one of the best players on yeah, planet Earth. Yeah, still is. I didn't is. say was. Right. But he's not... He said is. But he's, he's in the conversation this year. Yes, he is. He's not going to win it. Um, but... If there is any year that there actually should be a tie, I think it's this year. Because I think what the two men on the top left, camera yeah. left, uh, of that graphic. By the way, you're looking at it the same way viewers look at okay, it. Okay, I'm just making sure. There's no camera. There's no, um, yeah, there's not. Are the most deserving. <laughs> Damien and Andre yes. both looked up to Vince Carter as kids. Now they're rising in track and field and not basketball courts. Damian Warner is the best athlete in the world. So by default, does that not make him the best Canadian athlete? That, that's that's my like I said at the top of the show, I think it's Damian Warner. And you know how much I love Andre de Grasse and the hundred meters might be my favorite event in all of sports. It literally might be my favorite event in all of sports. And yet I still think it's Damian Warner. So if we switch the goals and if, De if, no, if Andre's no, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm asking. If he double golded, no. if he double golded, yeah. yes. Sure, but if the gold came no. in the marquee event, does that change no. your? Not really. I still think it's Damon. If he double gold, 100, 200, I, I think he wins. He has three medals on the track. Yeah. Most track and field athletes would love three Olympic medals in their career. He did it in one games, and I would argue. Da Damian Warner could have had a medal in the long jump too. <laughs> he could have had a medal in a couple things. <laughs> we have a piece that I believe is going live today. Shout out to Adrian Chetty for producing it, which is why I don't know exactly when it's going live. Um, that talked about the fact that Damian Chetty Warner. Did he get like a stray there? That... <laughs> What's that? He said it was produced by Adrian Chetty, which is why I'm not sure when it's going live. No, because he did all the work. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. But it's my, it's my it sounded like a stray. <laughs> My ugly mug on camera. Like no, 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 no. It's love. It's flowers. It's worth the clarification. It's love. It's flowers. Sounded kind of like He did like all loose. the work, but, yeah. but, but people 
mention me on Twitter, but like shout it to him. He did the work. Okay. Anyways, he, what he what he did. If, can we just talk about what he did? Because I don't think people really. Damian understand. Warner. Yes. Yes. We. If nine, you haven't heard. Nine thousand, which is what you hope for. Once he did it in the Olympics. Uh, obviously set the record. Obviously won the gold. But what people don't understand is in the Olympics, people don't do PBs in the decathlon because it's not set up for you to. Right. It's set up to be a TV event. Right. So the timing of when the events makes no sense, the amount of sleep you get in between days makes no sense. How close they're matched together. Normally you have more people in the field because it's not the Olympics. So you get it spread out. Yes. So the fact that he did it in those conditions with the heat, and again, since it's a TV event, there weren't tents. There, there weren't water fans because those don't look good on TV. In fact, he did it in that heat and the fact he did it when after event seven, we knew he was going to win. So he's literally now competing against himself right. and then competing himself to go for 9,000. What he did was next level. And trained in an arena in yes, London, London during the pandemic. London, Ontario winning things. <laughs> okay. Maggie, All right. the yeah. University of Western Ontario. Um, I just want, can we have the board one more time? Because I just want to say something about the anti-Lou Marsh, soon to be known as the Terry Fox Award. Look at the depth of, I've always had a beef with the Lou Marsh because it was always about uh, who did well this year. And, who, and there was never, for me, sometimes depth of field changed the conversation for me. Everyone runs. Right? Everyone, every country in the world throws someone into the decathlon. Every country on planet Earth, like almost all of them, have people running fast to see who is the fast. Swimming, soccer, like all, most of the names on there, Leila Fernandez, tennis, like all of it is such great depth. Alfonso Davies in soccer, like soccer may have the greatest depth of field of any professional sport out there. And that the part of this that makes me proud to be Canadian right now is the depth of field there and how far we've come. Like in the middle of this, Jonesy wrote in and said, which sport this year took a bigger leap, Canadian soccer or Canadian tennis? And the fact that you can make it about both of those sports, even though we've had top tens in tennis, sure. like it's crazy to me. Yeah, and, and in other years, we might have some male tennis players on, on that Board. If we can throw that board back up, the thing that jumps out to me to, to piggyback what you're saying is Damian Warner, Andre DeGrasse, Maggie McNeil, Ashley Lawrence, Vlad Guerrero Jr., Layla Fernandez, Alfonso Davies, Penny Alexiak, uh, first, second generation Canadians. Their parents or grandparents, or in some cases great grandparents, they're from elsewhere. Mm -hmm. And so to me, I will leave 2021 in terms of the Canadians that did great things, remembering that we are best in our country when we understand we're the best of the world, when we're inclusive, when we're diverse. The reason why people from all around the world want to come here is because you can get a little bit of everything. And when we actually realize that we are more in common than we do that is different and channel that into our athletics and, and all specters, we can do some amazing things. So I love the fact that if there was another flag beside the Canadian flag on a bunch of those names, it would be a cross-section of the entire globe. It's, uh, you and I have talked about this before, like not enough people look at diversity as a strength because they're more worried about, especially in 2021, about the things that are not the same. 
we're always looking to argue. We're always looking to, instead of finding the tie that binds, we look for the differentiation for some reason and we yell and scream at each other. But when you embrace the idea that you can bring a bunch of different voices to the same table, usually that table is enhanced by those different voices. I don't care what they are. If you bring a lot of voices to the table, you surround yourself with more and different ideas. It is a strength. Like, I don't know how many times that has to be proven. Yeah, and I think people, you know, they see difference as threatening, right? You don't understand it. This is not what, you, what you're accustomed to. So it's a threat on, on what you believe or what you've experienced. And my grandfather, when he moved here in uh, 1967, grandfather and grandmother, uh, I've said this before, Leafs win the cup, there's a parade, they see all types of people. And they're right. like, okay, we understand now why we came to this country. Because right. this was the hope. They lived in little Portugal and little Italy, right? There weren't a lot of people that looked like them, but they realized, oh, that Italian family, the mom is the matriarch, she's cooking for everyone, they're loud, they, they argue in sports. <laughs> That's the exact same thing that we are as Jamaicans. Right. Just, the spices are a little different than food. Right. But, but we are so alike them. And so I, I think to, to your point, um, it, it is remarkable when we realize we have so much more in common with right. other people. Ultimately, people want the same things in life. They want security, with they want health, and they want their family to be better than they have. And, and how you learn that more often times than not is invite them to the table. Mm -hmm. Have the conversation, right? Like, and part of, I feel like, and, and maybe this is just because of where I grew up and when I grew up, those conversations were had easily. And it made it a no-brainer to me, always. Even though you look at me and you say, that's a white dude, a rather white dude, like a really pale dude. Um, but I grew up around all different types of people and the conversations had to take place because there was no other choice. And you realize that we all want the same things in life. And it's pretty easy. Hold on. You didn't know I was pale? You're what? <laughs> you didn't know I was... I thought you were just light skin. Was... <laughs> yeah. <you>? John B. <laughs> John B. Strays. Uh, we had a piece and we kind of talked over it. It happens. Uh, so Adrian Cheadle did another piece uh, on Masai Ujiri. Uh, Adrian Chetty did another piece. Uh, and, and turned it into Don Cheadle. Uh, yeah, listen, I just let it slide, but whatever. Yeah. Um, on Masai Ujiri, uh, obviously uh, the Raptors celebrated the life and legacy of Mandela, talking about um, you know how we learn so much. You know, I think what the rise of African players in the NBA has shown us is that that continent has a lot of things to offer the world, not just basketball when you look at music, arts, fashion, food. Uh, Africa certainly is rising, so that's what the piece talked about. Uh, we, will you accept a tweet from the Tim and Friends? <laughs> what am I going to do? Hold the show hostage and say run it in the next break? Sure, I'll accept the tweet. Run it, run it. Uh, we'll run it on on the Twitter account. Uh, thank you. So if you're interested in that, please, please go to at Tim and Friends and enjoy the work of one Donovan Bennett and Adrian uh, Chetty. And Chetty. Mark Wade. Chetty and Mark Wade. I googled Suit Nouveau. No one's ever said it in the history of the listen, world. Listen, right. hey. We, they call me the Vanguard. Trans I'm a Transcend. It's did the research. Time for a break here on Tim and I'm taking your advice. Yeah. Time for a break here on Tim and Sid. Yeah. Oh, and then they then they cut to Connor McDavid as if that's better than me. <laughs> I, I said Tim and Sid. The time thing. All right. We're, we're going to explain what the hell you're seeing next right here on Tim and Friends. Did you see I walked with confidence, though? I did. I walked with confidence. For you.
month of December, we proudly support the Rogers Holiday Harmony Project, a way for holiday shoppers to connect with equity-deserving businesses across the country. For more info on the Holiday Harmony Project, scan the QR code seen on your screen below. And I don't even mind that it's covering up my Suit Nouveau. Suit Nouveau. I love that DJ just rolls in here, yeah. makes a new trend, drops a new term, I drops like knowledge, and walks out. I, I do too. I also feel like when I'm doing this, I'm more Right Said Fred than actual model. More Zoolander. <laughs> do you know who Right Said Fred is? No. no. Oh my God. Oh, oh no, hold on. Hold <sighs> here on. Here we go. Hold on. Drake redid the song. Hold on. Do you hold know on. the Drake part of it, or what I, do you I listen who, to? I know who Drake is. Yeah. You know who Drake is? Yeah. I'm uh, right too sexy. For, oh, yes. Okay. No. I, no. Yeah. No. Whatever. This uh, happened. Like, yeah. Okay. No. Yeah. You can know no. the song without yeah. knowing the band. Right? No? When, when were they? Okay. When did the song come but out? The whole song was about them being models. Okay. And the funny thing was that they didn't really okay. look like models. Kind of like, I don't look like a model. So it Although came out in 1992. To. So what? What does that mean? Elvis Presley sang songs four. before I was born. Oh, so oh, so I'm too right sexy. Right said Fred, a, I'm same, sexy, thing. same thing. Elvis same thing Presley. as Elvis Presley? <laughs> okay. If it's right. a classic, it's a classic. Well, I'm too sexy is a classic. Right said Fred, are they a classic band? <laughs> All right. Uh, yesterday on the show, we discussed <laughs> Jesse's small desk. You okay with this? Can totally we do fine this? with it. Totally fine with it. Are we, can we have this conversation it's again? It, it's making airwaves. So we were okay. discussing Jesse's desk and how small it was. In comparison, Devo Brown also has a small desk or a nightstand on breakfast television, which you can see locally in Toronto. It's the show that Sid Sixero left us Correct. for. And apparently they saw that. They discussed it this morning. Here's a look. Here I was trying to enjoy a day off yesterday. <laughs> and? I get a tweet. Uh, Hobby Hall of Fame, I think, is, is his thing. And he's like, Devo, on Tim and Friends, they're talking about you. Sends me a little clip. What the uh, Can we run this clip? Because I don't know too much about well, it. Well, let's set, set it up first. Yeah, you because okay. you saw this, right? So I'm what? So you were the lead in the show. <laughs> what? They had like a two and a half, like Canucks and, have new GM and Coke. And wasn't McCallum off for a couple weeks? He was off for two weeks, comes back. Yeah. You are the lead. So Jesse Rubinoff. <laughs> oh, yeah. Jesse, Jesse Rubinoff. He's in the corner mm -hmm. of the studio. He's the second best co-host Tim's ever had. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> let's be clear, well Donovan played. Bennett's the first. Oh, oh wow. pew, pew, pew. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. I'm just kidding. I mean, that was pretty good. Yeah. Just okay. Talk in the break. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> so Jesse's desk is not the biggest desk. Right. And he's so got a lot of stuff on it. They there. talk about it a lot. But then Tim comes right back yesterday during the show and brings you up. Oh. Right? Okay. I was watching Breakfast Television. Our good friends at Breakfast Television, Sid Sixero, Dina yeah. Pugliese, Devo Brown, and I noticed. Uh, that you're not the only one <laughs> with a tiny desk. So there's Sid and Dina at the big desk. Look at Devo's desk. That was way smaller. <laughs> that, that, I was watching and I snapped a picture on my phone. No. Like, what it, the hell is that? <laughs> it's a nightstand. They called it a nightstand. Oh, yeah. gosh. Guys, look. All I yeah. need right here is this space for my coins and my cowbell. Shouts to Marco. You know what they say, That's Dean? It. I don't need a bigger table. Tiny table? <laughs> no. Oh, Big God. cowbells. Let's go. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> hey, hey, my eyes are up here. Come on. <laughs> Shouts to uh, Tim and friends. Yeah, I talking love about them. my table. And Jesse, your desk isn't small. It's average. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> average. Uh, so there you go. Straight from uh, our friends at BT. Oh, that's brilliant. It's, I mean, it's still a small nightstand, though. <laughs> it's, it's really small. Um, Donovan Bennett. No, what did, what did ben you? Venue. I'm fine. I'm ben. fine with that. I, I, I'm just, I'm just thrilled that they were discussing us on breakfast television. Like, sit. Hey, man. There's, there's, there's mutual admiration. There's mutual love. There's a crossover when it comes to Six Arrow. Like, it's all in the family. Oh, I, yeah. Now I reached out to, to Devo on Twitter. I was like, you know, it's, it's all love, man. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean to make fun of your desk. It's, uh, I, this is all in good fun. We, we have talked about this desk at length, but the reality is it's perfectly sized. There's nothing wrong with it. You're, you're good with it. I'm good with it. Right. It is. I will say, be. people, have been Embrace writing, it. people have been writing in the last couple of weeks and saying that they think it's like slanting a little bit to the left. Which we might have to address at some point. Is it heavy? Is it? It's it's slanting. I haven't okay. noticed, but All like right. you, from time to time, I drop things off the desk. Like yeah. it almost happened today. I drop things all the time. I get like the stare from you, like the stone cold stare when I when I drop something. But like maybe it's related to the fact that the desk is slanted. Is is small, or and slanted? Yeah, small and slanted. All right, fine. Slanted and small. Slanted and small. Yeah. And average. My yes. bad. Uh, so. There are six Canadian teams on the ice tonight. We're taking a Hockey Central mere moments from now. Blue Jackets at the Leafs. Lightning at the Canadians. Islanders at the Senators. The Hurricanes are at the Jets. The Wild are at the Oilers. And the Flames, the lone road team of the six Canadian teams on the ice tonight as they're in San Jose to take on the Sharks. Of those games, what gets the PVR space? What gets the live space? What gets the second screen on Sportsnet now? Like, what are, you, what are you doing with your controller tonight or your controllers tonight? Because there is some intriguing matchups here, including a Stanley Cup final rematch that doesn't feel like a Stanley Cup final rematch. Yeah, I mean, with all due respect to the Lightning and the Canadians, I think we have a pretty good idea of how that one's going to go. It's still a Stanley Cup final rematch. Corey Perry's going back to Montreal. They're in last place. Yes, they are. Thurman last, but what are you going to do? I mean, that's just, okay. I want to watch the Oilers. I think the Oilers are must-see TV every time they're on the ice. And the Wild are playing well, too. I'm with you. Like, this is the game of the night. The Wild and the Oilers, I mean, it might not work out that way. No. But if we're building the marquee, Wild Oilers. Yeah, Oilers. And don't sleep in the Wild. They lost back-to-back -back games for the first time all year. Like, how do they bounce back? How do they respond? And then the Leafs. You want to see how the Leafs can respond now that they know that Marner's actually out for two to three weeks? I think that's a pretty significant void to fill. So, see how they respond. Uh, still nothing on Jason Spezza. Very weird. I mean, Maybe we expected to hear before the Jackets game tonight. We'll see. Uh, we'll bring it to you here on Sportsnet 360, but we're also sending it to Hockey Central on Sportsnet. So David Amber, Justin Bourne, and Mike Feudal will give you the information ahead of a busy night on the ice. As mentioned, we'll continue on Sportsnet 360. Rich Gannon is going to join us to discuss the Pats and Bills and the rest of Week 13 in the National Football League. Patriots took the Bills' lunch money. What does this mean long term? We'll discuss. 60 seconds. Sportsnet 360. Back at you. Waiting on third down to the end zone. Gronkowski. His second. Touchdown today! Here we go. Dump from the gun to the end zone. Touchdown! 
And the Detroit Lions 15-game winless streak finally over. I think your season's on the line right here, Pittsburgh fans. Oh, what a gutsy call. The game hinges on one play. Jackson flings it. Andrews can't get to it. The Steelers are alive. What a catch by Connor. And James Connor is in. What a play. Mahomes out of the pocket. Still on his feet. And in. Touchdown. When you finally do get him covered, he does that. Something special. A blustery December Buffalo night. Hits for Harris. Has the first down and breaks it. It's gone. 64 yards on the score. Fourth and 14 for Buffalo. Here's Allen. Throwing and it's knocked away. Two of three passing from Mac Jones. And the Patriots come here and win the game. Win it on the road again. Three passes <laughs> thrown. Only Bill Belichick could pull that off, and only Rich Gannon could join us now to discuss that and the rest of Week 13 in the National Football League. We bring Rich into the equation immediately and hit him with fire. Rich, do we need to relitigate the divorce between Tom Brady and Bill Belichick? Because I just looked at the odds to win the Super Bowl in Vegas, and the Patriots are now the third favorite to win it. It took him one year to rebuild this Patriots team. What they're doing is amazing me right now. Is it doing the same to you? No question, Tim. I mean, they've won seven straight, and it's how they're doing it. I mean, they really put on a, a clinic, a run game clinic, last night against the Buffalo Bills. I mean, you, they ran the ball 46 times for 222 yards. I mean, they averaged almost five yards a carry. And what was, I think, most disturbing to a lot of Bills fans is the fact that Leslie Frazier and Sean McDermott didn't make adjustments. And I think that's a crime. I mean, you just can't let a team run the ball down your throat. And it wasn't really until late in the game in the fourth quarter they started running the linebackers, Milano and Edmonds, through those A-gaps. But other than that, we saw so many situations where the Bills had nickel on the field, five defensive backs, and the Patriots had seven offensive linemen in the game. I mean, and then we saw them play with their base defense where, where the, the, the Patriots were loading up the front with, you know, big bodies. And I, just their inability to adjust until it was really too late. And, and that's a shame. I mean, that, that, I put that on the coaching. And, uh, you know, we talk a lot about Bill Belichick and the fact that the Patriots are so game plan specific. Clearly what they went into that game last night saying, we're going to run the football. The weather's going to be a factor. The wind's going to be a factor. The snow, the 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 the, the, is, the issues we're going to have with our our footing on the, on the turf, and they I think they came out running the football. But then when they saw that the, the Bills didn't adjust, they just kept on running the football. Right. I, mean, I, I don't think if you would have talked to Belichick before the game, he would you would say, hey, your quarterback's only going to throw the ball three times. He would have said there's no chance. But that's exactly what happened because the Bills are the better running football team and quite frankly the team that's better coached at this point yeah the Patriots are and and there's one point here that I that I got a counter with and that is like Bill Belichick ended up being his own tendency breaker right like there's there's no way that Leslie Frazier and Sean McDermott felt like he's got to throw the ball here like he's got eventually he's got to throw the ball like how many coaches do you know that would have the guts to throw it three times in a game that important Tim you got a good memory and go back to what Andy Reid and the Kansas City Chiefs said to the Bills I think it was it was it two years ago 
where they, they ran the ball for a couple hundred yeah. yards and everyone thought that Patrick Mahomes was going to throw it a bunch. They, they kept on playing, you know, dime and, and quarter packages with, you know, five and six and seven defensive backs. And Andy Reid ran the ball down, down the throat. Uh, of, of Sean McDermott, Leslie Frazier, and that Bill's defense. And, you know, we talk a lot about Bill Belichick. He's got a great memory, a great memory. And, you know, I think he looked at the weather and he said, look, we're not going to let our young quarterback turn the football over. We're not going to deal with the wind and the elements. We're going to be smart. We've got a good defense that can keep us in this game and give us a chance to win. And I just think at halftime, I mean, I, I think they, they reiterated, hey, we're just going to keep running the football until they make some adjustments, until they show that they can stop the run. I would say this. The most demoralizing thing to a football team, without question, is when a team is pounding you into submission with the yeah. running game. And you simply sit there and you watch it and you can't do a thing about it. We don't see that very often in the NFL. We certainly saw it last night in Buffalo. I, I was just so amazed with the guts that Bill Belichick showed. And, and the reason why is because there are a couple times where the Buffalo Bills could have won that game, Rich. And if they had of... Bill Belichick would have been on the receiving end of having thrown it just three times to the 30 for John. Like, he would have been ripped for what he's being lauded for right now. Bill Belichick knows that and doesn't give a bleep. He doesn't. And you know, I think what's really most damaging, I think, to the Buffalo Bills right now, every player in that locker room knows. Yeah. That they, they were outcoached. Yeah, and they took our lunch. They were outcoached. I mean, and again, look, the players have to accept responsibility, Tim, for what happened on the field. There's no question about it. The defense didn't do a good enough job tackling, fitting the run, uh, you know, all those things. Hmm. But these players are smart players, and they sit there and watch the film, and they ask the same questions that you and I ask. When the Patriots have six and seven offensive linemen on the field, why are we playing with smaller people? Why is that happening? And I just think that, you know, that's something that's really, Sean McDermott is not a good football coach. He's a great football coach. And that is going to really bother him all week. They're going to have to quickly turn the page and move on because that was a life lesson for the coaching staff in Buffalo. Even only giving up 14 points, you still feel that strongly. Because that's the one part that, like, that's the caveat. And I'm a, I'm a Libra. I'll, I'm always on both sides of the fence. And I'm always wondering, like, they only gave up 14, Rich. Like, it's not as if they gave up 35 Tim, I think we, we all are guilty, and I'll raise my hand. We're all guilty of overreacting in this business. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to cause a, a controversy here, but I just simply feel that yeah. the coaching was a big part of the, 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 the outcome of that game last night. Now, the Bills are still right where they want to be. They're at 7-5. and five. They control their own destiny. They can still do all the things that yeah. they talked about accomplishing in the beginning of the season. But they've got to make some corrections. Offensively, I think they're so dependent on Josh Allen. They've yes. got to be able to run the football more effectively. I think defensively, you know, you, you can't say it was a winning performance because they only gave up 14 points. They, they, they did not do a good enough job stopping the run. And that's any good defense. It always starts with stopping the run. Let's make them one-dimensional. They've got a rookie quarterback that's from Alabama, uh, played at Alabama, who's from the state of Florida. Let's make this guy, let's see if he can play in, in, in climate yeah. weather. Let's see if he can play in the wind and the, and the yeah. snow and the, and the elements here in Buffalo. Let's, let's find out about it. They never found out about it. I mean, the guy only threw the ball three times. <laughs> I mean, you simply can't do that. You've, you've got to force them at some point to shift gears. And the Patriots never had to shift gears. And that was really the difference in the game. All right, you, you may have changed my mind on this one. Yeah, Rich, I love having these conversations. You may have changed my mind on this one. And the Bills, man, seven and five, they get the Bucks next week. 
Like, it, it does not get easier. They get Tom Brady and the Bucks next week. So let me ask you, because this here's the juicy one. It's Bill Belichick versus Tom Brady. Tom Brady wins the Super Bowl last year, and everyone says, well, Tom Brady's walked away with this. He was obviously the bigger part of the marriage that was Belichick and Brady. Do we need to relitigate this divorce proceeding and the immediate pronouncement that Brady was the winner because he won the Super Bowl? Oh, I certainly hope so. <laughs> I think we all do. We all want that, don't we? Yeah. I mean, the, you know, you go back to the, their matchup earlier this season where the Bucks traveled to New England to play the Patriots. I mean, I don't know how many eyes watched that one with great interest. And I think, could you imagine oh. if we get to a situation come February where the Buccaneers are going to play the Patriots for the world championship? I mean, that would be awesome. I mean, uh, what, a, what, a, what a story that would be. And, of course, you get the greatest quarterback ever against the greatest head coach ever. It's the ultimate chess match. Two people who have intimate knowledge of the other person's strengths, weaknesses, concerns, issues. You know, it's about as good as it gets. And, the, the, you know, Brady's playing lights out. I mean, he threw four touchdowns again this past weekend. Gronk is, is back to being Gronk. Uh, I think their defense is beginning to get healthy. And they're going to be a dangerous football team once the postseason rolls around. Yeah, peaking at the right time. Do we say the same thing about the Kansas City Chiefs? Are they officially back in Rich Gannon's mind? They are, and not because of Patrick Mahomes, Tim. They're back because of the play of their defense. Their defense has been outstanding over the last five or six weeks. In fact, they rank near the top of just about every major statistical category. They're number one on third down defense. They're number one in red zone defense. They're forcing people to kick field goals. I mean, I think they're giving up 11 points a game. And you pair that with what they have in Patrick Mahomes and the offense. Now, I'll say this. Patrick Mahomes and the offense, the numbers weren't very good against the Denver Broncos. You look at his yards, his completion percentage. You look at uh, the fact that you know he didn't throw for a touchdown. He threw another interception. I mean, this is still a work in progress. But can you imagine your defense is playing really good, and all you got to do is get Patrick Mahomes to yeah. settle down a little bit and just play within the system? I mean, if, if, if the Chiefs win this division, which I suspect they will, and they get into the postseason, and they play better football offensively the next five weeks, we could be talking about the Chiefs and the Patriots in the AFC Championship game. Uh, let's, or the Bills. Yeah, let's let's hammer down on those AFC contenders because I'm officially taking one out of the mix, and I want to see if you agree with me. And it's not because they went for two against the Pittsburgh Steelers. I completely and utterly agree with Lamar Jackson and Mark Andrews against the Steelers' defense. I would go for that every time, especially with all the injuries on defense. But you couple all of the Ravens' injuries on defense with – what I'm seeing from their offense, and listen, I'm, a, I'm as big as a Lamar Jackson uh, fan is there, as there is out there, but they haven't scored more than 20 points in four straight games. Are the Ravens falling off here? You know, you go back to 2019 when Lamar Jackson was the NFL MVP. They didn't have a single game where they didn't score more than 20 points. He's thrown eight interceptions, Tim, in his last four games. It's a problem. The first the interception he threw down the red zone, simply unacceptable. What the Ravens have shown in the last three games is that they don't have an answer for the blitz. Quarterback's not comfortable. The quarterback doesn't see it, doesn't identify it. They don't have tools in their toolbox to, to handle it. And it's becoming a, a real issue. Teams see it, 
Teams watch the film, and they know that they're going to crowd the line of scrimmage. They're going to get five- and six-man pressures and force the quarterback to sit in there and, and, and deal the ball quickly. He doesn't do that. He holds the ball too long. He was sacked seven times in that game. Ten, seven times, that's a career high for Lamar Jackson, one of the most difficult quarterbacks to sack. He's got a difficult time giving up on a play. I don't trust the Ravens either. I think their defense can keep them in games, but the quarterback – uh, is in trouble right now. He's not playing well. The teams I trust the most right now in the AFC, I think, I think you look at the Patriots, I think you look at the Bills, and you look at the Chiefs. Hmm. Those three teams, to me, I think are trending in the right direction. Although I would tell you the Bills got some things to clean up based on what happened on Monday night. Yeah, without a doubt. I wonder, you know, they might be able to sell it to that team. I, I The tape don't lie, though. I was gonna say, I was gonna say, you might be able to sell it to that team that if we get a little better weather conditions, that's a completely different game. It did play to the Patriots' strength. Who between weeks seven and thirteen, they're basically the best running team in the league. They're the best against the run. Like it just, it fit what they do really well, and it took away some of the things that the Bills do well. But I think you're right. Tape don't lie, Rich. When you sit down in that room. It is tough to face everybody in the room when they know what happened and what you described as happening happened. Uh, next time we'll go through the NFC, but this was fun on the AFC. Perfect. Always great catching up with you, Rich. Sounds good, brother. There is uh, our former NFL MVP, Rich Gannon, with a little Tuesday afternoon quarterback as opposed to Monday afternoon quarterback. Time for one last break. We'll get to last call with Jesse Rubinoff, his average size desk, <laughs> next, right here. Hunting events. Welcome back to Tim and Friends. Uh, you saw it right there. It says Last Call. Uh, the guy who takes care of Last Call is one Jesse Rubinoff. Giddy up. You just talked to Rich Gannon about the Bills and the Patriots, and that's where we're going to go back to because right. New England won 14 10 on a very windy night in Buffalo. We addressed it. Mac Jones had three passing attempts after the game. WIVB-TV's Jerry Sullivan asked defensive backs Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde about the lack of passing attempts, mm -hmm. and it led to a rather testy exchange. Check it out. It's been over 40 years since the team has won a game running two times in the game, passing a few times. Is that embarrassing? I mean, what kind Boy, of what are we doing, bro? What kind of question is that? It's a question. The nation's going to be criticizing you of calling you soft. Right. I'm asking. I think, that's my I think keep that. Keep that. Uh, yeah, 14, 14, or, 14, to, 14. 14 to 10. Is that the final score? We made stops when we had to. They had one big run. I mean, they got good backs. They, yeah, all right. Um, they kept coming back to a couple of runs. I mean, I don't know how you want us to answer that question. That's funny. Well, I'll, we'll remember that. What? I'll remember that. <clears throat> this, this goes in this respect. It's all about respect. I come here every single week and I answer your questions. Truthfully, honestly, I appreciate you guys. Don't do that. Don't do that. In my, my day, day, we'll play it. Was that a fair question, Tim? That was testy. <laughs> that was fun. You, I, I, thought, I thought Micah Hyde actually... I think I thought they handled it pretty well. I also thought Jerry Sullivan knew what he was doing when he asked the question, and they didn't fall for it. Yeah, I, I actually thought Poyer's answer was good. Like I, I didn't need the like, 
will remember that sort of no, but thing he, from Micah he, High. But he went at them. Yeah, but like it is kind of is it not embarrassing? Like I know I said that the defense it wasn't their fault, but like as a team, as okay, an overall your, team, your they had goal three passing is, attempts. Your goal is to ask them a question that will get them to answer. Yeah. You're not trying to be the story with the question. And I thought that it was one leading and two, it was kind of sort of the truth, right. which is why Hyde got pissed off about it. Right. Because they knew that they had just had a really tough game against an opponent that kind of sort of ate their lunch. And I would be pissed off about it too. It's like when on Twitter, when people rip and it's nowhere close to the truth, I don't give a bleep. When they kind of sort of scratch at the truth. That's when you get mad. That's when I get mad. Yeah. That's when you get pissed off. And I thought like, listen, he knew what he was doing by asking the question. And the way he responded to their criticisms of his question made it obvious to me that he knew what he was doing with the question or what he was attempting to do with the question. Do I hate on it? No, but you have to live with grown men's reaction after playing a National Football League game mm -hmm. in that kind of weather with those kind of circumstances and with that on the line, man, you're going to get what you got. And, and, and to be honest with you, some guys would have given it a lot worse yes. than they did. Yeah. Like I said, the Poyer answer was true. Like, the Patriots do have really good backs. They're a really good team. And they only they score one touchdown. How much better can you do? Uh, Steph Curry was at it again last night, scoring 31 points in the Warriors' win over the Magic as Golden State improved to 20-4 on the season. Curry made eight <laughs> three-pointers, including a half-court shot for the second a, straight game. A guarded half-court shot. A guarded half-court I mean, it was a bang, but whatever. <laughs> He's now 15 back of Ray Allen's record for career three-pointers, meaning he would need to break Clay Thompson's single-game record of 14 threes in order to tie the all-time mark in the Warriors' next game, Wednesday against Portland. And he was asked last night if he thinks he can do it. Anything is possible. Um, what is it, 15? <laughs> That's funny because I know what that means if... Uh, Clay's record and all that too so we will see <laughs> so Steph now knowing that does, does that mean you're gunning gunning for it now uh if you've seen the way I've played especially recently I'm just not shy about shooting the ball so uh the game will dictate what that looks like I'm not coming out uh with that as a like true goal of like how I'll play but Crazier things have happened. <laughs> I'm guessing he, he's going to shoot a lot against Portland. On <laughs> Do you think it's obtainable against Portland? Absolutely. It'd be two records in one. He's he's Steph Curry, so anything's possible. Uh, is the over under 25 three point attempts for Steph Curry the, the, tomorrow night? The, should the over under be 25? Okay, the NBA record for three-pointers attempted in a game is 24 in the same game in which Clay Thompson yeah, so he's gonna try. scored the 14. So to set it at 25, <laughs> I think, is kind of sort of ridiculous. But when I really, I don't know. I, I honestly think that Steph is, is capable. What he's doing right now is unbelievable. I mean, think about his age and think how long Ray Allen played the game. I know the game's changed. But Steph, in part, changed the game. Oh, 
right? Like, he allowed it to be okay to shoot that many threes in a game because he hits that many threes in a game. So, yes, I get what you're saying. I don't think Steph's that dude, but if he gets hot, he does love a little bit of attention, and that's part of what makes him so good. Do you think he rolled into that press conference and actually didn't know that he would have to break both records to get the Ray Allen record? Yes. You don't think he was paying attention to that? No, I think he knew, but he had to do the math and figure it out. Right. And like, I think he knows he's close to the all-time threes mark, right. but he had to do the eight plus the 20, so 23, so that means, what, 15 left? And I like think, us, he's not a mathematician, he's <laughs> yeah. a basketball player, right. so he let them do the math for him. Curry wasn't the only warrior to hit eight threes yes. last night. Andrew Wiggins also did it, setting a new career high as he scored 28 points in the victory. It was one of several great performances by Canadians in the NBA last night. Shea Gilgis-Alexander had 30 points and 13 dimes, and Lou Dort added 28 points as the Thunder snapped their eight-game losing streak against the Pistons, and Dylan Brooks scored 21 as the Grizzlies beat the Heat for their fifth straight win without John Morant, who's the best Canadian in the NBA right now. Like, look at us, Timmy. Let's go. I know everyone wants me to say Andrew Wiggins. I believe that Andrew Wiggins is benefiting by who he plays with. And I think the answer is Shea Gilgis-Alexander. I think, I think that Shea Gilgis, listen, I love what Andrew Wiggins is doing. It'll be interesting to see where he fits in when Klay Thompson returns to that team and how good, I mean, they're 20 and four without Klay Thompson, mm -hmm. right? Like that's unbelievable. And uh, I love that Andrew Wiggins doesn't have to be the man that settled into his role as second and maybe even third. If he embraces that, he will be a wonderful part of that team that in my mind could be even without great bigs or good enough bigs yet the favorite to win the NBA. Credit to you. Credit to you, you were on it from the get-go. Um, Shea Gil Gilgis Alexander and the Thunder will be in Toronto. Game you can catch on Sportsnet tomorrow. Uh, the Pacers looking to rebuild around uh, Chris Duarte and Isaiah Jackson. And apparently they're open to trading DeMontis Sabonis and Miles Turney, Turner and Chris Levert. Uh, would any of those guys be good in a Raptors uniform? Quickly yeah, right any, any of them would be. I mean, the money is interesting and I wish we had more time because we only have about 20 seconds left. Yeah. But the truth is, you need both versatile bigs and true big men to win in the NBA. That's why Marcus Gasol and Serge Ibaka work so well together. And I don't think enough NBA teams are doing that right now. You need the legit big man and then the precious Achua. You need the guy who can move and guard everyone and switch off. Yeah. I want to have more of a conversation. Let's do but it tomorrow. We're done. WWE NXT. That's really hard to say. <laughs> WWE NXT coming up next, 8 p.m. Eastern and Sports at 360. Talk to you tomorrow.